It is week three of New Reads November on SSR, everyone. We are more than halfway through this special theme month, and very soon we will be back to our usual old school kidlit programming. But in the meantime, I am thrilled to have the chance to talk with you today about Tiffany D. Jackson's latest YA novel, Grown. Grown was published in September of 2020 and has a cover that totally knocked my socks off. Based on the events of the ongoing R. Kelly case, the book tells the story of an aspiring teen singer named Enchanted Jones, who is swept into the seemingly glittering world of music superstar Corey Fields. Corey, quote, discovers Enchanted at a singing competition and promises to help her career. But what happens when Corey reveals himself to be way more villain than hero? And what happens when he's found dead? And all signs point to Enchanted as his murderer. On episode 121, my guests and I take a close look at the amazing Grown. We talk about what I learned about the author's writing and research processes. We talk about how important this book is at this particular time. We talk about the problematic nature of the word Grown, especially in Black communities. We talk about how Grown is a lesson in how society treats victims of sexual assault. We talk about power imbalances and relationships of all kinds, and about the disturbing peak we get at grooming in this book. Before I go any further, I will share a trigger warning on this one. In fact, I will just go ahead and quote the content warning from the first page of the book itself. Mentions of sexual abuse, rape, assault, child abuse, kidnapping, and addiction to opioids. This is a heavy book, and while we don't go in-depth on all of these subjects on this episode, we do touch on most of them. My guest today is Haley Krischer. Haley has an MFA in creative writing from Lesley University and has been working as a journalist for 20 years. She's a regular contributor to the New York Times and has also written for the New York Times Magazine, The Atlantic, Marie Claire, Lenny Letters, and more. Haley's YA book, Something Happened to Allie Greenleaf, is now available. Learn more about Haley's work at HaleyKrischer.net and follow her on Twitter and Instagram at HaleyKrischer. As always, all of those links are easily available for you in the show notes for today's episode at www.ssrpodcast.com slash listen slash episode 121. If you haven't had a chance to check out SSR show notes in the past, now is a great time to do it since there are a ton of cool resources available for New Reads November titles, and I link to all of them. I also share a lot of fun stuff on social media. Follow the podcast on Instagram and Twitter at SSRpod and on Facebook by searching The SSR Podcast. Join the smaller, chattier Facebook group as well. That one is called the SSR Podcast Community. I love getting to know all of you across all platforms on social media, so if you aren't already, please follow along and come say hey. Did you know you can also use social media to support the podcast? Well, you can. If you love SSR, and especially if you love this episode and New Reads November as a whole, I would so appreciate you sharing about the show on your social media platform of choice. Instagram Stories is an ideal place for this. Take a screenshot of this episode wherever you're listening to it, yes, like right now, and post it to your story. Tag me at SSRPod so I can see. You can even add a note there about what you're doing while you listen or what your favorite takeaway from the episode is. This kind of sharing really does help spread the SSR love. You can also spread the SSR love by sharing a five-star rating or review on iTunes. I know I mention this every week, so I'll keep that ask brief this week and just say thank you. Thank you also to all of the Patreon sponsors tuning into this episode. Not sure what I'm talking about when I say Patreon? It is a very cool platform that allows you to support your favorite independent creators with a few dollars every month in exchange for exclusive rewards. I launched a Patreon page for SSR nearly two years ago now, and I am so appreciative of the community there, especially because their contributions have quite literally funded the growth of the show. I actually lowered the price for SSR's Patreon sponsorship tiers last week, 
which means you can get your hands on newsletters, bonus episodes, and more for less than ever. I absolutely love putting these perks together, and I wanted them to be accessible to more people. Visit www.patreon.com slash ssrpodcast or go to www.ssrpodcast.com and click support at the top of the page for more information and to get in on those new prices. 2020 has been, well, it's been 2020, and small businesses have been hit especially hard. Independent bookstores need our love and support now more than ever. Show them some extra love this fall and holiday season by shopping for audiobooks on Libro.fm. Libro.fm allows you to support independent bookstores instead of giant companies. The audiobooks you get from Libro.fm are exactly the same as the ones you would purchase from big corporations, and they're the same price too. Plus, SSR listeners can cash in on a discount on their first audiobook purchase from Libro.fm. Go to Libro.fm, that's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and use code SSRPOD when prompted on the site to get a two-month audiobook membership for the price of just one month. I can't wait to hear what you're listening to. One brief housekeeping note. Due to a last-minute scheduling change, this episode was actually moved up a week from where it was originally planned. So you'll hear me say it's the last week of New Reads November and wish you a happy Thanksgiving. I thought about taking it out, but then I decided that it's 2020 and we need all the early holiday wishes we can get, right? But don't worry, there's another New Reads November episode still to come and you still have another week to dream about your favorite Thanksgiving treats. Now let's go to the show. Welcome to the SSR Podcast. You may recognize SSR as an elementary school era abbreviation for silent sustained reading, but if you don't, that's okay. What it stands for here is Shit She Read. Each week, we'll crack the binding on an old school read written for kids or teens and talk about it from a kind of grown-up perspective. We'll obsess over heartthrobs, relive the frustrations of middle school, and say an occasional WTF to a beloved author. If we haven't met yet, I'm your host, Ali Hofkosik freelance writer, lifelong bookworm, and lover of anything covered in rainbow sprinkles. So find your favorite reading spot and a glass of wine. We're about to revisit some literary throwbacks right here on the SSR Podcast. Hi, Haley. Welcome to SSR. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Listeners, I can't believe it, but this is our final week of New Reads November. As Haley and I record, it is the end of October, but we are coming at you over Thanksgiving week, actually. I hope that you all have safe holiday plans. I hope you're all feeling thankful for something in the midst of this crazy year, but I personally am feeling very thankful for all of you and very thankful to have the opportunity to talk to you today, Haley about a very special book called Grown by Tiffany D. Jackson. You actually suggested this book to me. It wasn't on my original list for New Reads November because it was published in September, which is when I kind of started putting the list together. But I'd love if you could share a little bit about why you picked this book. I know you have a special relationship with the author and just any other thoughts about why you recommended it to me. Okay, yeah. Well, this book really just took me by surprise by how much I was taken by the character and and how I just loved how Tiffany was able to show people what trauma looks like, what it looks like from the public perspective when something so tragic happens, when how what grooming looks like. You know, I think that there's so many people who look from, you know, specifically in the R. Kelly case, which I know she had based this, some of this story on, that she she really had an issue with people who were judging 
you know, the, the victims. And, and it was such a horrible thing to see, um, you know, I think when that case was going on, um, how could that kind of girl get in this situation? And she just did such a beautiful job capturing all of that within the story. And so that's why I was mostly taken by it. But then just Tiffany as well, I'm just a fan of her work, um, starting from allegedly, and I did interview her for an article for Lit Hub about unlikable female characters. And she had a lot to say to me. Um, and we had a great conversation. But she she said one thing to me that really stuck out, which is that it's even more important for unlikable Black female characters to be in the canon because then, you know, it, it allows people to see Black women as who are that are human, who are not perfect, who make a lot of mistakes, who... Um, and it shows their vulnerabilities and, you know, what they're experiencing. And I just, I, I thought she was just really brilliant, a great person to talk to. Well, I think it's really neat that you had the opportunity to interview her because I have a feeling that that probably informed the way that you read the book and even might inform our conversation today. And I know you mentioned before we started recording that you actually have now read this book twice. So you probably can dig into the details way more than I can. I'm really excited to talk about it. As you mentioned, this book, according to everything that I've read about Tiffany D. Jackson, and I'll, I'll note that one of the really cool things about doing these New Reads November episodes is that there's so much out there in terms of author Q&A and sort of more modern takes, more contemporary takes on these books. Obviously, when I'm doing episodes about like old E.B. White books or like really old school kid lit, I don't get that. So I really have like, I'm chock full of uh, reviews and interviews to share. And if I don't get to share any of those on this episode, I'll be sure to link them in the show notes so that listeners can check them out. But I I was really fascinated, um, even just by her process. And because you are an author, I I would love to to get some of your thoughts on, on the things that I discovered about her process from the research that I did. As listeners know, I'm in the first semester of my MFA, so I'm like really into to writing process right now. You're you're in you're in the craft. Oh, I am in, I am deep in the craft, Haley. I am in the craft. Like, <laughs> where is the comma? Do we move the comma? I'm, Do we leave the comma? <laughs> I was there, and I understand all about the digesting and the breaking down and the unpacking of the craft. I get it. I'm in the craft and I'm trying to figure out my writing process. So reading about other people's writing processes is very interesting to me. And so Tiffany Jackson talks a lot in the articles that I read about her about um, her fascination with true crime and how she actually has like a running spreadsheet of about 15 cases at any given time that she is interested in perhaps basing a novel on. And I know she has a background in TV and film writing. So I think that that probably informs the way that she approaches stories in its own in its own right. But she she spoke in one article that I read um, on the site. We need diverse books. She she says grown was a different beast to write. My previous books were based on older cases that had final outcomes, thus information, books, and documents readily available. The case grown is inspired by is still ongoing. Updates occurring even while I was writing which made it harder to nail down specifics since the story hit closer to home as I was a girl who was in an age inappropriate relationship in high school, I decided to write more from the heart. It feels incredibly uncomfortable not having my research shield to protect me. So I thought that was really interesting because she writes these stories typically where she kind of like knows what the real world ending might be. And she didn't have that because the R. Kelly case is still 
going on. Yeah. And I also think that besides that, I think that when you're talking about Um, I mean, there's so much in this book that's really, really tough to read. And especially on the second read, you know, because she hides a lot of stuff sort of in between the lines, you know, there's sexual assault, there's, I mean, he's drugging her, he's, you know, and the grooming, the endless grooming that's going on. You could feel that this was really something that she put everything into, that it wasn't just about you know, looking for facts or, 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 you know, just being around, just having details that are just come from sort of the headlines. She, she's really delving in to how does a young girl get stuck with an older guy who's clearly so manipulative, who's clearly um, not a good person. How does he get around her family? How does he get around friends? And I know that she had a um, relationship with an older man, and she spoke about that a, a number of times as well. And I think she just went there with this. She just really delved into that in a very intense way, because you could see with such a young girl that I mean, she's she's seventeen, but that's still you're 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 a baby, mm-hmm. you know, and. And when you're 17, you, you, first of all, you fall in love really hard. And so, and this person was an, an older person and a huge pop star, you know, Corey is a huge pop star in the book. And so this girl enchanted wants to have a career. She's completely taken by him. She thinks he's a fascinating guy and he's so nice to her. And I think that's, she, she's really setting you up for the grooming. And so as to how he is able to, to move that whole thing along. And, um, and he does, he just keeps coming back and back and just pushing more and pushing the envelope. It's a, it's a very intense process, but I think for anybody who's ever had a question of like, how could this have happened? This book will, will tell you exactly how. And also, uh, you know, another thing too, is that I really, after watching the Michael Jackson um, documentary, I don't remember when that was like maybe a year or two ago. I remember listening to the victims thinking to myself, like, because you always think, first of all, I'm a parent. You always think as a parent, I would never, that that would never happen to me. Mm -hmm. That would never happen to my kids. My kids would always be safe from this. I would never allow my child to be in that kind of situation. Right. Mm -hmm. But um, I think when you are the music industry, first of all, is just such a yucky business. And so when you're talking about that kind of stuff, I think that it you could see how people so easily get sucked in, very, very sucked in to want to trust, to be vulnerable, to put their guard down. Yeah. And so it, it's, it's just really fascinating on a lot of levels. Well, and I think even reading this through the first time, and I will say you've inspired me to try to go back and read it again, because I do think that she's she's done such an incredible job of building this story with so many details that should point very clearly to what Corey is doing to Enchanted, but don't necessarily the first time around. And I, I credit that to the fact that I saw that she she calls herself a plotter as an author rather than a pantser. And that makes sense to me because I when I take a step back and I think about each like distinct scene and all of the incidents in Grown, those those scenes are plotted very precisely. But I, I'll say that when I was reading it for the first time, it was easy to think about each incident as like a discrete event, a discrete terrible event. But because I'm I'm privileged enough to not have experienced something 
like this and I recognize that privilege and I don't know anybody who's experienced this kind of a situation, I think that it's easy to just be like, oh, this guy sucks in each of these distinct events. But then by the end of the book, you realize, oh, this is grooming. Like I, I because I'm not somebody who's as familiar with the grooming process, it took until the end of the book for me to understand that like this is a very obvious depiction and portrayal of that word that I've heard, like I've heard out in the world, mm. I've heard in the zeitgeist. But I think that Tiffany D. Jackson has done an excellent job of showing us what that actually looks like over a very long period of time. And she she's sort of like, she could have cut out early. Like she she really pushed through many, many pages of showing how this pattern works. And I think that's really brave and really challenging. Yeah, I think you have to do that in a book like this because then you just, you won't have a real full picture otherwise. And, you know, I'm like thinking of just other sort of um, actual real life grooming incidents where, you know, in child abuse cases, when you're looking at like, say, Penn State with Jerry Sandusky, Mm -hmm. and you're looking at how many boys he assaulted in that um, at Penn State, he was a assistant football coach, I believe. And this went on for years, the assault. And it, it wasn't just that, I mean, boys told some of their parents, but then when authorities or, or think something happened where like uh, when they, they started investigating, they, they had a few people who worked in the football program who didn't want to tell because they thought, first of all, they had been groomed by Jerry Sandusky, right? So they had been brought and they had been manipulated to believe that Jerry Sandusky was a good guy and then this could not have happened. So even if they witnessed something, which I believe one guy did actually witness something, they didn't want to believe it. And I think that when I was talking to Tiffany, she said something similar to me about Corey, the character. She said, and in a way, he is the villain of this story. But then again, he's not because it's really society is the villain in this story? Because how do we get to a point where somebody like Corey or somebody like R. Kelly or somebody like Jerry Sandusky is in a place that they could take advantage of an entire community of so of so many people? But then that brings me to, okay, so let's go even micro, right? Like let's go to an abusive relationship where Maybe and I and I did actually a ghostwriting book on this that will be coming out I think in like a month or so or and I uh, I worked with somebody on it and it was really about this very abusive relationship that this person had with somebody that she worked with and she really believed that he was a great guy he was a brilliant guy he was smarter than her ex-husband she was a a a very high-powered attorney and so she thought she was meeting somebody who was on the same level as her and then he started disappearing and she was like okay well what happened to you why didn't you show up we had a date and then he would scream at her he would like yell at her and say like why are you calling me so many times? Why are you, why are you stalking me? And she would say, I I thought we had a date. What are you talking about? He would say to her, you're crazy. Mm. And so these kinds of things just kept going on over and over and over. And after about like two years, I guess, within it, into it, 
there were so many times that he was told, he told her that she was crazy, that he, she started to believe it. Mm-hmm. She started to believe that she was crazy. And then she really, I think what happens to the abuser, then they kind of just go inward and shut down. And, and that's, it reminded me a lot of this book because Enchanted, who's the the main character, she, she starts doing a lot of lying and she doesn't want to tell people what's going on. And she gets just very sucked into what he's telling her, not about what she's seeing in front of her face, that this is a very bad situation. Well, the power differential is a major element here. Um, Not only is Corey Field older, we've established that, and not only is he a celebrity and much beloved by like the general population who loves his music, he's also promising her something. Um, When we meet Enchanted, she's a high school student who loves to swim, spends a lot of time babysitting her younger siblings. She knows that she has a great singing voice, but she hasn't quite had the opportunity yet to sort of be out there performing. And she has some stage fright. She goes to this, the way they describe it as like a BET version of an American Idol kind of contest, which is where she meets Corey. But despite the fact that she's super talented, she gets really nervous. And so she doesn't put on the best performance. But when she meets Corey, he promises her that he's going to help her make a record and he's going to help her be famous. And he takes her like, this is such a cheesy way to put it, but like he takes her on the road with him um, to perform and to open for him and to be part of his tour. Well, he convinces her mom. He convinces her mom because her mom, they originally don't want her to go. Which like good instinct, mom, like great. <laughs> yeah. Great. Like, I don't want you going with this guy on this music tour. What are you, and what are you even talking about? Didn't he already have sexual assault charges or yes. maybe it came up later? Okay. I think had... there was, there was like some murmurings that there was something like not quite right. Like it was vague, but people were skeptical. Right. Right. Plus he was older and, and she has school and a life to live as a kid. But as you mentioned, like this is, this is not a fictional scenario in which there are people in a victim's community in their immediate circle who don't necessarily see what's going on and who might, without knowing it, actually be allowing it to happen. I found a review of this book in Teen Vogue, which was great, and I'll link it in the show notes. But one of the things that the author writes is of the victims, their silence is only aided by the silence of the communities around them who turn away despite suspicions that women are being abused and mistreated. Jackson also gives us a societal mirror of the unfortunately long list of complicit bystanders who often enable predators and engender more sympathy for those predators than for those who manage to survive them. As is the case in many other circumstances, though, through Grown, we take note of how teachers, friends, coaches, and parents all failed to intervene. Wow, what a great, they they summed it up because and she has these like um, text messages between friends in a community group called Will and Willow. And um, the kids are just savage. Mm-hmm. And they just really tear her apart and tear apart the situation. And the parents, parents want to kick her and her sister. Well, I guess we'll, we'll get to that. But, but much later on, pa- the parents in the Will in the community group want to kick her and her sister out of it because of what happened. Because as opposed to embracing her and saying what a horrible thing ha- that happened to you or even there must be something really wrong here we know that your father has been looking for you and people people just they want to stay away from it they're like this is dirty 
this is, this is not good. I don't want to be anywhere near this. Right. Like, don't let me get touched by it. Yeah. Like I don't want right. to get stained by right. this. I don't want my reputation right. to get brought into this conversation. Um, I think what's also important to acknowledge based on, again, the interviews that I read with the author and also acknowledging that you and I are two white women having this conversation, but a key, a key informant of the title grown is this idea that often black girls are viewed as more grown than white girls of the same age. Um, and in that way, they are often not treated their age. They're often not given the sympathy or empathy they deserve. I found one quote from the author who talks about how like black girls dancing at a certain age are considered predatory when white girls of that age dancing are considered cute. So that's one part of the title. And the other part of the title, according to what I read of the author's commentary around this book, is that there is also a pressure among teenagers in general, but I think particularly teenagers of color, to act grown, to be self-sufficient, to be savvy about the world, to not need help from the adults in your life, to just kind of be able to handle yourself. So this title is actually really significant. And there is an element, a very important element of race that I think we need to call out here because a lot of the blowback that Enchanted gets throughout this book, especially at the end, um, when her reputation is really called into question and her future is called into question because she is potentially going to jail, a lot of it is because people look at her and they can't see how she could possibly be a victim. And that we do have this like societal cultural norm of the way that many white adults view black children and girls in particular to blame for that. Right. And I think that's what Tiffany was saying to me, as I had mentioned in the beginning of our interview, is that it is our responsibility as white women and as a culture to remember that doesn't matter how somebody might look. These are we're talking about a child. She's 17 years old. That's she may look like she's 25 years old, but she's a child. And she's got a mind of a child. And I think it's it's very, you know, the way that she puts this together and the way that she plots the story out, you know, you really can see how um Enchanted was able to get you know, just so caught up in this and her and how he really touched on her vulnerabilities. And that that's just, it's a huge, it's a really huge piece of this. It's a huge piece of this. And, and at the beginning of the book, we actually start with a sort of flash forward. And I read that Tiffany D. Jackson had never done this before. Um, so this was new territory for her. And the first chapter is called Beet Juice. And Enchanted kind of wakes up and is taking in a scene around her and she's describing beet juice everywhere. Beet juice like dripping on the floor, dripping on her body, on her clothes. And I thought that was just really powerful imagery. Again, putting on my like craft MFA hat, I was taking all kinds of notes. I thought that was just so well done. But we find out that she's in this room with Corey, who at this point we of course don't know much about because this is the first chapter of the book and Corey's dead. Yeah, he's dead. So we now are are getting into the rest of this book and we have to figure out how we got there. Like, how did we get to the point where Corey is dead and Enchanted is alone in a room with him? And I think at least it was clear to me and I don't think that, I think that this was actually really effective. I was like, okay, 
she's going to be accused of doing this. And now we just have to figure out what happens between this scene where we see her and she's like talking about being a mermaid and she loves Disney and she loves to go to swim team and all of these things. Mm -hmm. How do we get from that point to a situation where she's not only found herself in this very unhealthy relationship with somebody who has been nothing but manipulative and terrible to her, but how is she how is she with him dead? And and how is she going to be caught up in this murder? And I thought it was really well done because it would have, I think, I think sometimes it's easy when you use that kind of a device to sort of, I don't know, dial down the like interesting factor because you know where it's going. But I, I didn't feel that way at all. Um, I thought it was crafted really nicely. Yeah. I mean, that, that first scene, I feel like I had to read that a few times because I didn't really I didn't, I don't think I got it at first, but then I realized that I, that, that the device of using and calling it beet juice, it was even more of a signal of her age Mm. um, and how dissociated she had become from the whole situation, because that's, that's really what was going on with her at that point. She was so abused. And we start from that extreme, extreme period of this completely dissociative period. And yeah, that was, that was unbelievable. It really was. It was just great writing, like period. Great, great, incredible, beautiful writing. Yeah. The word juice comes up again and again in this book, Mm. because really, especially as we're getting into like this, the second two thirds of the story, one of the tactics that Corey uses in his grooming of Enchanted is he gives her purple purple juice. Yeah. Yeah. Which is like, which is like, can we, uh, what, what is it like a, some sort of opioid, I'm guessing. Yeah, but it was like a cold medicine opioid. Like it, we didn't really know exactly what it was. Yeah. But that's what I liked about it too, that she didn't even know what it was. She just called it her purple juice. And that, you know, once she took it, I mean, she was just out, but besides that, she was craving it at some point down the, down the road. And that's, it had to have been, it was something addictive, obviously, if she was craving it, but it's just, again, it just, you know, harks back to how far he was able to go with this girl and how much she wanted to please him and how caught up she was in pleasing him and taking care of him. Because I think right before the purple juice scene happens, I think that there is, I know that he's, he's telling her that he's at least paying for everything that her parents um, are doing. You know, he, he's got all these ins- other incentives um, that he's going to record this album. And, and then there are emotional incentives that he, he says to her, I really need you to take care of me and don't leave me. And that really got me because I, I, I remember times when I was younger and was in a relationship with somebody that wasn't so healthy for me and what that meant if once they got vulnerable, then all of a sudden you're like, oh, maybe they're not a bad, so bad after all, just because I'm seeing like 5% of their vulnerability. A little humanity. They're human. He's human. I have to he's be human. nice to him. Yeah. yeah. And that's when he starts drugging her. That's what's crazy. Doesn't he threaten suicide at one point? Maybe oh, more yes. than once. Yeah. He threatens like if you yeah. leave me because she does try to get away. Like she tries to get away several times. At one point she does get away briefly with the help of uh, a woman who works for the airline when they're on a flight together. But she she talks about leaving. And as you said, like one of the things that he does to convince her to stay is he tells her that 
well, what are you going to do? I'm going to stop paying for your school and your sibling's school, and I'm helping your parents. At this point, he's cut off contact between Enchanted and her whole family, so she doesn't know if anything that he's saying is true. And again, she's 17 years old, so all she's going to do is trust him. And she feels like she has this enormous responsibility. She's no longer just in this relationship with Corey for her own benefit. She's in this relationship with Corey because she believes that like the fate of her family's finances is on her shoulders, which is incredibly stressful. So he he does that. And then, as you mentioned, he's like, never leave me, please. I'm going to kill myself. Like, I can't. I can't survive without you, which is, it's a ridiculously heavy emotional load to put on anyone, let alone a 17 year old, let alone a 17 year old who is in this ridiculous like power discrepancy with you, who you're already like lording all of these like bribes over. It's no wonder that somebody in enchanted situation would find herself like with absolutely no emotional tools to know what to do next, especially because, again, she no longer has access to her family or friends back home. Right. And she's and she's so young and vulnerable and she she really does feel responsible or she feels somehow she can be, you know, she can change him. This is not just a, you know, an issue for for teenagers. This is an issue for women across the board. And I think it was Toni Morrison who said it which is when someone tells you who they are, listen. And this guy is like a perfect example of that. But I think it's even harder when you're when you're young. If so many other successful women, you know, in life have have gotten into abusive relationships with men, then it makes even more sense that this girl would. I don't think I've ever read a book like this before actually now that I really think about it. I'm trying to think of any book that's like this. I would agree with you. I think I think for one, this book is very of its time. And I, I mean that in a really great way. I think it's possible for books to be of their time and to feel too specific and maybe like too limited to the time period in which they were written. But I think this book is really of its time in an important way because I think stories like the stories of the R. Kelly victims are coming out right now. And people are talking about those victims. And that's a hard dialogue to have, but an important one to have. And I think it's really powerful that Tiffany D. Jackson has sort of timestamped that conversation through this book. I don't think that a book like this could have been written before, certainly not for teens. And one of the quotes that I read of hers actually in one of these Q&As is that she thinks that if this had been her first book, it probably wouldn't have been published. Like nobody would have mm-hmm. published it. So it took these years that she's now been in the YA lit world for her to kind of gain the credibility to publish a book like this, which is sad because it's a story that should have been told anyway. But I agree with you. I, I don't think I've ever read anything like this because I think the content is really coming out of a very particular moment in our like cultural history And I'm so glad that she like jumped on this moment to share a hard, important story because I I hope that this gives people some tools about like red flags to look for or like questions to ask. I know that it was great food for thought for me. Yeah, I know. I mean, you could, you know, it's, it's one of those, um, it's one of those stories that you really like sit back and and look at it and have to sort of digest everything that's happening because you want to just say, oh my God, Enchanted, 
this is not where you want to be. This is not where you want to go. But as Tiffany said that she was in a relationship, not like this, but necessarily, but she was in a relationship with an older guy when she was, I think, 17. And um, I believe she said in in an interview, not with me, but somewhere else that her parents didn't know about it um, because there's a tremendous amount of shame because you don't necessarily like, want to tell your friends or your parents, you know, because they might be too protective of you or they might question what you're doing, which of course they would, you know, I think even just a freshman and a senior is, is, can be a weird dynamic, you know, and then probably inappropriate. And, you know, I think that this book just allows sort of kids, especially kids who have maybe been in this situation or know someone who's been in this situation to see themselves a little bit in it and to step out of the shadows from it and really have thought about it as well. I mean, hopefully all these things don't happen to all different people who are in relationships with someone older, but yeah, I think that there's, there's a lot to take away as not a learning lesson because I'm not really into like YA books that are like serious, you know, like this is how you should behave or, right. and I, and I don't think she wrote it like that. It's just, and I hope I'm not trying, you know, making it come off that way when people read it. But I, I think that there is a lot to take away from it. There real there really is. There's a lot. And there's a lot, there's a fret, there's a freshness even through the trauma. Yeah. I think fresh is a great word. I think that's a fantastic word to describe how I felt about it. Just like I've never read a book like this before. I've never, I don't know that I, I even feel like I've read about a protagonist who's exactly like mm. this. Enchanted is so specific. Yeah. She loves to swim. She has these fantasies of herself as a mermaid. We, we get the sense that she has this history with her grandmother who her family used to live with at the beach and they moved away. She spends all this time with her younger siblings, which is something that I could relate to when I was in high school. I had siblings that were much younger and I spent a lot of time babysitting them and so the fact that she had these weekly Disney nights with them, um, and that was something that was important to her. Like, I really appreciate the fact that Tiffany didn't shy away from going to that level of specificity with her, because I think it also, it showed us how old she really is. She's she's young. Like, I think that those details went a long way, but she also has this, like, sense of what's healthy for her and what's not, which I thought was interesting. Like there's a moment, I believe maybe like two thirds of the way through. It's now been a couple of weeks since I read this book, but there are a few images and like quotes that have still stuck with me. And one of the lines is where she's talking about how like months ago when she first met Corey, she was this strong, athletic, confident girl who felt good about herself and and like didn't need a lot to like feel that way. And now X number of months into this relationship with him, like he's been giving her terrible food to eat. So she feels crummy and she's like, like not to make it about weight, but she talks about how she's gained weight in a way that feels really unnatural for her body type. And she's just slow in her life and she can't think straight. And I think being 17 and having like the presence of mind and like the understanding of who you are to be able to pinpoint that is a really neat attribute of hers. Yeah. And it also says a lot about the music industry because I think she's spot on about that. I mean, and just the entertainment industry. I mean, I know that Britney Spears had a lot of these issues, I believe that there were issues about weight and there were issues about making sure she was working all the time. And 
I mean, my God, she's like in this, you know, in this whole legal battle right now over, you know, the future of her, her money. And, and so it's kind of fascinating when you look at how deeply he immediately wanted to control Enchanted. He doesn't want her walking around in a bathing suit, yet he wants her to lose weight because she's got a little pooch in her belly. And um, she doesn't, something about her, like her backside looks great, but at the same time, she needs to be able to cover it up and only wear certain things that he wants her to wear. There's, there's just a ton of rules. And I thought that maybe on the second reading, I thought maybe this is really symbolic of, of a bigger issue which is because he cannot be the only man and only person to have said that to a young up and coming singer without a doubt, you know, that you have to look a certain way and you have to dress a certain way. So some of his rules, you could see that she would even say, okay, this seems right to me because this man knows what sells. This man knows how to work it and, and I'll follow it. Mm-hmm. You know, it, se- it seemed very, that, that felt very authentic and real to me. So a lot of the book takes place while we're in the midst of this relationship and this time that Enchanted is spending with Corey. But we also, as we mentioned, we we start the book after all of that's over, after Corey is dead. And so the last, I don't know, 50, 60 pages of the book are focused on what happens after Corey is found dead in, in this hotel room. And after Enchanted is found there, which is, of course, suspicious for the public and for the police. And she's questioned. She actually gets to the point where she is like almost going to turn herself in to the police to be arrested and to like stay in jail. And I think this is where it seems to me that Tiffany's research about the aftermath of the R. Kelly documentary like really comes into play. I read that she took a lot of the... Facebook comments that she includes in the book almost word for word. Um, and I wanted to share some of those. So excuse any page turning listeners, but Tiffany D. Jackson, like I said, she like essentially copied some of these. And I don't mean that in like a critical way, but she, this is what people actually, these are the kinds of things that people actually have said about victims like Enchanted in this book and like R. Kelly's victims in real life in response to a statement like, if you're mourning him, you're mourning a pedophile. People say things like pedophile. She was a grown ass woman. She didn't look 17. But once you find out she's 17, you still gonna smash. Then in response to a statement like, so we just gonna jump and believe this girl? People said that wasn't proven. Just a bunch of settlements. Children lie when they get caught doing something they're not supposed to. That's what they do. I mean, it goes on. There's like, I just think it's really telling that she took these kinds of comments directly from like real life Facebook posts you know how these groupies do they was looking for a come up and didn't get what they wanted now they come in for the brother's neck they were about that dollar dollar bill these are things that real people have said about women who have found themselves girls i'm not even gonna use the word women because these are children um, about girls who have been in these situations and so as hard as those comments were to read privately and it's even harder to read them out loud on this podcast i do think it's it's worth noting that like this is research like this is the author's real research and these are things that actually were said. And this is what victims like Enchanted and like some of the victims in these R. Kelly cases, this is what people are up against. Oh, yeah. I mean, my book is about sexual assault. And, you know, in my book, I I really tackle the, the 
one of the girls, both of the girls are dealing with sexual assault in my book. And I have two main characters and they're both talking about often through a lot of the book going through and trying to figure out how they're going to tell somebody because a, there was drinking involved and, or maybe there was some consent involved to a certain level and how are people going to believe them and how is this going to be okay? And you know, when you start looking at other victim blaming situations, like say Chanel Miller, who wrote Know My Name, her book is a, is a, is a nonfiction book. And it was about um, that she was, when she was raped by Brock Turner, who was a swimmer at Stanford, I believe she was, um, I think two foreign exchange students pulled him off of her. She was completely drunk. The judge gave him six months and said how bad he felt for him because this whole boy's life was going to be ruined. And so that's the kind of thing that you're talking about, you know, in these Facebook quotes, because that's what we do as a society. It's, it is so deep and it is so internalized about how we treat women in sexual assault and about our sexual abuse that it's very hard to say what was going on with that woman? How did she get in this situation and how could we help her? How can we support her as opposed to, oh, she deserved it or she got herself into this mess, let her get, get herself out. I believe Chanel Miller said the same thing about her situation because she was drunk and she had been, had had a, a rough week. You know, she had been studying, I think for midterms, I could be completely wrong with this and I'm sorry to anyone who's listening, but let's just say for the sake of argument, she had a really rough week. She had had a long day. She hadn't eaten. She had a drink at home with her family. Then she had a drink at home with a friend. Maybe she had one more drink and, you know, and she said I was overdoing it, but like, you know, what's so who doesn't overdo it. Right. And just because you overdo it, does that mean that you deserve to be you know, raped on the ground outside of a party while you're unconscious? Of course not. And so it's the same situation with this girl. Yeah. You might finger wag to her. Like, how could you get yourself in this situation? How could you lie to your parents? How, how could you not know? And so what then she deserves to have all this horrible backlash because she got in this, because this abusive situation fell on top of her and she was groomed in such a specific way. It's, it's really tough. Even as far as we've come with me too, in the past couple of years, you just see why women don't want to report. You see why women don't want to tell what the, the real story of what happened because of situations like this book, because then they feel like somebody is going to say, you just, you shouldn't have been there. Why were you there? You were just trying to get his money. Yeah, you were just trying to get his money. You were just trying to have access to his power. And you alluded to this earlier, but it's not even just like the faceless public that's saying this kind of stuff about her. Like her family friends, the friends of the other kids who are in this community group, Will and Willow, they're trying to distance themselves from from Enchanted when she really like needs their support. So I think, again, that speaks to the fact that like, it's not just about this like faceless glob of people who are saying these things. People don't understand how to have empathy. And, and there is this, I think, really weird, like, I don't know if it's a survivalist instinct to like distance yourself from this kind of situation to make judgments instead of having empathy for people. But I think that the author does a great job of coming at that from several different angles, both like, again, this general public, and then even from her immediate community. And I, I will say that 
there's also this really powerful and positive moment toward the end of the book where Enchanted finds out that she's not alone. There's a support group of women who have all been victims of quarries. And I think that that too is hopefully becoming something that can be more relatable to women that have found themselves in these victim situations and who have been victimized. I think that since the Me Too movement, there are some people who are getting more comfortable sharing their stories, which means that that as new people share their stories, there's others who are willing to listen and to share and to like empower and and just like provide a safe space. And so I was happy to see that included. And I'm hopeful, not as hopeful as I am that these kinds of behaviors stop, but I am hopeful that more and more women and girls realize with time and as people are becoming more transparent about their own experiences, I hope that people realize that they're not alone and that these kinds of support systems do exist for them. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's a huge piece of this because, you know, we could say, okay, that this book is a lesson in grooming. We could say that this book is a lesson about that Black girls are vulnerable, that they're real, whole, complete people who are not just with superpowers and magic and perfect, and that we need to be able to have compassion for for people and for kids, especially girls and boys, actually, in this kind of, you know, a sexual abuse situation. But this book is really a lesson in how society treats victims. And so if if nothing else, I think it's uh, would be a great thing to see it sort of talked about in um, even like a health class, you know, or wherever people want to talk about sexual assault in high schools, because they often relegate those kinds of discussions to health class and discussions about consent. It's unfortunate when you look through like some high school curriculums and to see what is being taught. And even if the teachers are having great books, they're not necessarily talking about consent and sexual assault. This would be one of those great books to have and really kind of break everything down. How does society react to her? You know, what's her journey? There's just there's just a lot of levels to this book that are very deep. Yeah, that's a really interesting thought to have it in health classes and just in schools in general. I think we could probably talk about it for another hour if we wanted to. But I, I'll, I guess in this case, I'll leave it to readers to pick up a copy of this book and find out the details of the ending for themselves. It is a fantastic book. I really enjoyed reading it. And Haley, as you know, typically on the podcast, we talk about older books, but for New Reads November, we're talking about these newer YA titles. And not only are you a YA reader, but you're a YA author. And so I'm really curious to have you answer this question. I would love to get your thoughts on what you think that the book Grown by Tiffany D. Jackson has to say about the kind of progress that the YA lit world has made in terms of subject matter, in terms of representation. Where do you think this book kind of like lives in that spectrum of the progress that the industry has made? And do you think it says anything about kind of like where we still need to go? Oh gosh, that's such a good question. And I think also I can say this because my book is about sexual assault as well. There are few books this year that have come out that are about sexual abuse and sexual assault um, besides Tiffany's and mine, but there's also Kelly Yang's book, Parachutes. That's another great book. And, you know, it used to be, I think that the the only book about uh, sexual abuse or assault 
to read was speak. Um, there was also The Way I Used to Be by Amber Smith, which is a fantastic book. But I think that I think that it's actually come a long way. I don't know if my book could have come out five years ago or four years ago. And I don't know if a book like this could have come out four or five years ago or parachutes. And I think if you're just talking about these three books that are just specifically about grooming and sexual assault and sort of trauma, I, I think it's a it's a pretty diverse lens. Does it need to be pushed more? Yes, of course, always, especially with teenagers. And it's interesting because I, again, I spoke with Tiffany about this in the article that I wrote about unlikable female characters. And, you know, she said to me that she really felt like, you know, because she's been writing for a number of years now and before COVID, you know, was able to actually talk to people in real life. Um, <laughs> Those were the days. <laughs> yeah. She said that there were so many adults who would say to her, this kind of stuff can't be true. This kind of stuff, like, really? Especially about her first book, Allegedly, which is another great book by Tiffany that I highly recommend. Excellent. God, that book's so good. But she said it was always the kids who just were more on it, who understood and said, yeah, I could see this. Hmm. But the adults were like, oh, my God, absolutely. This, is, this seems impossible. And how could this be? This seems so unrealistic. But the kids were all like, yeah, you got it. You nailed it. It's almost like publishers are just catching up with what kids are talking about anyway. I think so. I think so. So for me as a YA author, I am finding myself loving, I'm a new YA author. You know, this is like a brand new thing for me having a debut out this year and my second book comes out next year, but I'm really loving about writing about the teenage experience because I pushed the envelope as a teenager. I really pushed it. And so I like Pushing. I like going back to that character and back to who I was and trying to get into that mindset with the knowledge that I have now and then writing the character from the teenage point of view and pushing it as far as I can go. And my editor then tells me when it's too much. She's like, okay, <laughs> She's keep like, pushing, stop, keep pushing, stop. <laughs> yeah, we're going we're gonna to pull back a little bit. Okay. <laughs> That's so interesting. It is a fascinating time. And I, I like that idea that like, Publishers are just catching up with like the fact that kids already understand what's going on and they already know what's happening and they're already talking about it. So let's just keep pushing that envelope. Like this wonderful group of YA authors of which you are one. Oh, thank you. So other than Grown, what have you been reading lately that you would recommend to our listeners? You've referenced a bunch of books already, but is there anything else lately that you've especially loved? It doesn't have to be YA. It could be anything that was just especially fantastic. I just bought this book, actually, Luster by Me Raven Lani. Um, oh, you too? Yeah. I just bought and, it. Oh, my God. I started reading it. I put it down because I was just, I'm doing too many other things. But then I'm looking at my bookshelf of the other, um, everybody looking. Um, I just bought that as well. And also, I want, I'm, I just finished reading um, The Project by Courtney Summers, but that's not out until February. And that's about a cult. And it's so good because I just finished watching The Vow on HBO and I'm kind of obsessed with cults anyway. And it, it kind of, if you're obsessed with cults, this book will be, Grown will be really fascinating to you because he is very much like a cult leader mentality of how he like draws people in. You could just easily replace like one of these gurus with this guy, Corey, very easily. Yeah, Totally. Well, I will include links to all of your recommendations, including the titles that you mentioned throughout our conversation 
in the show notes for this episode. I will also include all of the great articles and reviews and Q&As that I mentioned and a link to purchase Grown by Tiffany D. Jackson and a link to purchase Haley's book, Something Happened to Allie Greenleaf. Congratulations on your debut. I'm thrilled for you. I'm sure that uh, pandemic state wasn't quite what you had in mind, but I am over here celebrating for you and um, it's super exciting. Thank you, Allie. Thank you so much for having me. This was such a great conversation. I loved breaking this down with you. I agree. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. SSR is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Thanks so much for listening to the SSR Podcast. Check out our website at www.ssrpodcast.com for show notes and other information. And be sure to connect with us on social media for updates on upcoming episodes, behind-the-scenes inside scoop, and some good old-fashioned book talk. Find us at SSR Pod on Instagram and Twitter, and search SSR Podcast on Facebook to join the group. To reach out directly, you can send me an email at hellossrpod at gmail.com. If you're loving the show, it would mean so much if you could subscribe, leave a five-star review, and share your thoughts with a comment. And don't forget to tell your friends, too. In the meantime, happy reading. I'll see you next time on the SSR Podcast.